This is Sports Talk with Phil Cordblue, Chris Bergen, and Pat Daniel. Sports Talk is heard across the state on radio affiliates of the Sports Talk Media Network and is streaming live on SportsTalkSE.com as well as Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. The South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number to call in is 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now, here are Phil, Chris, and Pat with tonight's edition of Sports Talk. All right, good evening, everybody. Welcome into Sports Talk, Sports Talk Media Network. It's the Monday after, after a busy, busy, busy weekend, basketball, baseball, NASCAR, golf, everything on the table for you tonight. Our phone number is 888 Phil Kornblut, Pat Daniel, here at our studios in downtown Columbia. Chris Bergen joining us from the beautiful Bergy Palace in Sardis. So we've got a lot to um, unfold tonight, a lot of things to talk about. Love to hear from you. Again, the number, 888 So I guess the most significant thing from over the weekend, as I see it for us, was Clemson laying an egg at Louisville. And now Chris, a team that just a few weeks ago was number one in the ACC and looking good for a decent seed in the NCAA tournament. If you go by Joe Lenardi, and who doesn't, they're on the outside looking in right now. I mean, they're not even first four out. They're second four out and maybe even deeper than that. His bracketology this morning had both Charleston and uh, Clemson on the outside. Uh, He had uh, Charleston, the number 70 team, so they're on the bubble. But he had Clemson uh, more off the bubble than that. So, you know, the question becomes here, can Clemson recover? Uh, Do they have enough good wins in them left in the regular season so that they don't have to make a deep, deep run in the ACC tournament to get into the NCAA tournament? They're sort of playing themselves into a corner here. First off, good evening, guys. And secondly, how did Joe Lenardi become the odds-on, odds-maker, if you will, on bracketology? Has anybody ever followed him all the way through the end when he first starts putting together the 68-team field to where it actually ends? And I'm not talking about the one he puts together Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock when he's pretty, it's pretty much everybody could get it at that point in time. How well, accurate are, is he? Are you questioning the great Joe Lenardi? I am. I'm just curious how, how, how accurate I any think, of those I think he are. got to his spot because he was probably like the first person. It's like a lot of us. He was the first person doing it, you know, sort of like um, – Oh, what's his face with the NFL draft? He was like the oh, first guy. Yeah, he was like the first guy doing it. The first guy that mm-hmm. you know did a deep dive into it and made it into a thing. They made it into a thing. He's made it into a thing. And you've got other people who do it. And maybe they do it as well. Maybe they do it better. But he's got the name. He's got not the trademark, but it's sort of like Frigidaire. You know, the company Frigidaire. We used to always call our refrigerator what the Frigidaire. Mm-hmm. All right, like he took on the name of the company. Yeah. Kleenex, perfect example. Kleenex is another, yeah. It's a facial tissue, but yeah, Kleenex is sort of according to the market there. I'm just curious, though, and, and what did the College of Charleston do here the last week or so that's befell them out of uh, being on the bubble? And now my concern is he's probably looking at the Colonial and thinking Hofstra is going to actually win the automatic bid. Uh-huh. And then that really, if you're Charleston, that really has to concern you a little bit, even as good as they have been this season, sitting at you know 14-2 and two in conference play, their half game back, 
Uh, across the board, they've got quality wins, 26-3. and three. That should be a tournament team, but here he sits them at 70 in terms of the uh, rankings, and that's not good enough for a team like the college to get into the tournament. And unfortunately, I think from a Clemson perspective, Phil, you hit it on the head. I think their bubble burst on Saturday. Now, they've got to go on a terrific run to close out the season, and that would include, in my mind, they've got to get a win at NC, uh, at NC State. They're also going to have to find a way to win at Virginia, and I still think they may have to go a couple of rounds deep into the ACC because the one thing Clemson cannot do, which they have done, was give the NCAA selection committee any reason to leave them out. Another quad four loss mm. for them. You just cannot do that if you're trying to build a resume and get into the NCAA tournament. You're right. I mean, when the season started, especially in ACC play, who was the talk of the town? This was a team that got to, what, 7-0? and They still have a chance to win more Atlantic Coast Conference games than any team in program history, but I don't think it's going to be enough unless they get some terrific wins, in particular this coming weekend at NC State, the following Tuesday against UVA, and I think they'll probably have to knock off a couple in the ACC tournament just to make themselves feel a little bit better going into Selection Sunday. And they've dropped to 81 in the net mm-hmm. with their loss to Louisville. They had moved to 64, so they took a, a deep plunge with that loss, and you go back and look at the game, and they came off that Florida State 40-point win, which, of course, was fool's gold for anybody uh, watching it. Um, They're not typically 40 points better than anybody in the ACC. They just had one of those nights where they couldn't miss. And then they go up to Louisville and play a team with a terrible record, but their fans, the Cardinal fans, turned out. They packed the place. They were honoring the 2013 National Championship team, and they packed the place – they did not play like a team that had just three wins going in, and and Clemson didn't match it. And, of course, they didn't shoot it nearly as well. They ended up shooting 43% for the game, only four of 24 from three-point range. I mean, P.J. Hall single-handedly kept him in the ball game with 28 points and eight rebounds. He's got to be, and I know there's a bias in the voting because most of the voters are from the non-South Carolina area, but he's got to be a first-team All-ACC pick. There's no question about it. 28-8 and eight for him, and uh, but not nearly enough. And, you know, Louisville had a, a bit of a surge at the end of the first half and then again in the second half. And, and Clemson, man, they got it close there down towards the stretch, but then Louisville answered with a bit of a run and, and put them away. So that had to be a long flight home back to Clemson knowing their situation now 19-8. and eight trying to get over that hump to get the 20 wins, trying to get over that hump to get to a dozen ACC wins. And now, you know, Syracuse at home, very winnable game. Syracuse is not the great Syracuse teams that we've seen in the past. But trying that 2-3 zone, even though you know it's coming and you talk about it and you have a couple of days to prepare for it, it just freaks out a lot of teams. And I don't know if they – get suckered into taking long three-point shots or what. Usually the middle of the lane. I can remember when Clemson has beaten Syracuse in the past, feeding the post in the middle of the lane. You can get a lot of good shots there, but you have to knock them down. But Syracuse comes in on a uh, coming off a loss. They're 16-11 and 9-7. And, and, and they, too, you know, they're scratching and clawing for every win they can get. They'd be a long shot to make the tournament as it stands right now. But a winnable game. But then, as you mentioned, they got to go to NC State, and then they have to go to Virginia. they got to win these three games, I would say, to have I agree. to put themselves you know, back 
into the bubble conversation. I mean, if you can go to Virginia and win, go to NC State and win and beat Syracuse at home, that might even thrust you back in to, say, the um, the first four situation where they've been mentioned. I would think you would hope it would push you up even a little higher than that because those are quality road wins. And Clemson's got some decent wins on their resume. The problem is they've just got those glaring, really bad losses too early in the season. And then, of course, Saturday. You just can't, even if Louisville is playing better, I know Brad Brownell talked about that in his postgame, Phil, all anyone sees, including the selection committee, is Louisville had won three ball games going into that. They are not a good basketball team, regardless of how they've been playing of late. And Kenny Payne's done a nice job trying to keep that team together. I mean, they could have easily folded the tents, and, and for the most part, I think they have in some regards. But the last couple of ball games, they have not played all that badly. But you just cannot lose to a team that's now 4-23. and 23. You just can't have that if you're Clemson. And unfortunately, they did. And you look kind of through the numbers – I mean, outside of maybe not shooting 50% from the field, they did most things right. They outscored them inside. The P.J. Hall was terrific at 28 points. I will say this, the late-game scenario in which Chauncey Wiggins got a jump shot, his only shot of the game off an inbound, mm. that one, that play left me, Brad, what are you doing? Yeah. That one didn't make a whole lot of sense. Now, it's possible because we've all been around college kids enough that that was probably not the initial idea. Wiggins just ended up with the ball in his hand and thought, hey, I'll take the shot. But that's not a guy you want taking a shot late when the game is is still in the balance. And unfortunately, Louisville came down. And boy, you talk about a team that was able to convert at the free throw line. Good grief. 26 of 28 at the line. You want to see where Louisville won that game. It was at the foul line. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. That was a quick catch and shoot by Wiggins. And, And I don't know. It seems like it was a play that was set for him the way he caught it and shot it without even looking at anything else to unfold in the play. I don't know. Maybe he lost his thinking and just uh, and freaked out in the moment. We'll have to, um, when we get a chance to talk to Brad Brown now, well, it'll be kind of late. Um, I was going to ask him that question after the game uh, Saturday night, but unfortunately my equipment wasn't set up <laughs> where he could hear the question. So, anyway, uh, water under the bridge now. Tough shot and, uh, and a tough miss. So I'm looking at Jerry Palm's bracketology. He has Charleston in, in the East, as a 12 seed facing Miami in the opening round. So and the Cougars are sitting there with 26 wins, 25 of those against Division One teams. They have a win against North Charleston. I'm sorry, North Greenville. Uh, that doesn't, doesn't count when it comes to your net ranking as against a D- Division Two team. So they've 26 wins overall, but 25 that count against Division One teams. Got them as a 12 seed. Um, their net ranking right now is is in the 50s. They got the best in the state, I believe, at this point. Charleston is a 52 <clears throat> in the net ranking, and they've got two more home games to wrap up the regular season. They have Towson, which will be a big game at home on Thursday, and then Stony Brook to wrap up the regular season. So and, and Towson, they're nineteen and ten, pretty good team in the CAA. But playing at home, Charleston's been exceptional at home all season long, fourteen and one. So I would say they should win these last two games, end up with uh, 27, 28 wins, depending on how you want to look at it. But they've got to go to their tournament and win it because it's a one bid league. Mm-hmm. So I mean, they got to do it all over again. 
Well, it's interesting, though, you, you compare Joe Lenardi, who has them out of the field, versus what Jerry Palm has inside the field and comfortably as a 12 seed for a team from the Colonial. That's, it, it, that's as if Jerry Palm's thinking they're not even up for debate right now. They mm-hmm. are solidly in the tournament. So that, that was sort of my point earlier, asking about Lenardi. How can two guys who cover the same sport, watch the same game, come up with that, those vastly different projections? for the NCAA tournament. That's what's got to be maddening for coaches. Now, they'll tell you they don't pay attention to that stuff, but they obviously pay attention to that stuff because they know. Brad Brownell was still lobbying about what Clemson's been able to do and Louisville playing better in the postgame. He understands they can't, they can't afford those type losses, and when one might occur, you've got to go to bat directly in the postgame and say, look, here's what we have done. Uh, let's look at that, maybe overlook some of the losses, but the NCAA selection committee is not going to do that, especially for a team like Clemson. Mm -hmm. Chris, a little more information here on the Cougars. A few things helping them right now is Kent State is a big win they had earlier in this season. Kent State is 22-5 and overall and currently leading the MAC. Uh, Also, Virginia Tech is looked at as a quad two win. Virginia Tech, of course, at the time when Charleston beat them was really struggling But Virginia Tech has started to show life, and with every win they have, that improves how College of Charleston looks in the eyes of Joe Lunardi and bracketologists out there. Uh, Also, College of Charleston is 16-0 against quad four teams. Again, we referenced Clemson, and that is really hurting them. Mm -hmm. The fact that they are 8-3, they have three horrible losses on there. College of Charleston does not have that. Their only losses were against, against fairly good competition, And Colorado State is another team that was a a tournament team last year along with Virginia Tech, and that was an early season win for the Cougars. So every win Colorado State and Virginia Tech get, that significantly helps the Cougars along with Kent State. All right, phone number 888-898-2525, South Carolina Education Lottery, lucky number. Let's turn our attention to uh, South Carolina. The Gamecocks went down to LSU and – you know, they played in the Pete Maravich uh, <laughs> Assembly Center, and they shot it like Pete Maravich did to open the ball game. Uh, five straight three-pointers, and um, they continued to shoot the ball well the entire night. So uh, a South Carolina team that's not very good beat an LSU team on the road. Uh, that's even worse. Uh, they're having a terrible year. Hard to believe this LSU team was looking pretty good going into January. And then January came, and they turned to crap. They haven't won a game in the year of 2023. (laughs) And so South Carolina picks up a third SEC road win. Just imagine, I mean, three SEC road wins in a season is actually pretty good. Unfortunately, you haven't won a game at home. If they had just split some games at home to go along with their road wins, they'd be looking at a pretty decent SEC record right now. But they haven't been able to win at home. And, you know, the likelihood of winning at home uh, doesn't look uh, – well, Alabama Wednesday night, certainly you, know, you saw what Alabama did to Georgia. My God. Um, might want to get ready for more of the same Wednesday night. But they do Move get the Georgia. Tuscaloosa. Yeah. They do get Georgia <laughs> to finish out the regular season at home. And, and Mike could get a W there. But, hey, listen, as we've talked about repeatedly with this – team for South Carolina. Uh, the record is uh, irrelevant as uh, Lamont Paris is trying to establish things in his image and in his way, but we've always talked about how this team as a whole has played hard throughout uh, this entire time, and they continue to do that on Saturday. 
And G.G. Jackson sort of got over himself a little bit and played hard and played well, 20 points, 8 rebounds. And Michi Johnson continues to deliver. He had 20 points. He hit five threes. Jackson hit four threes. And Jacoby Wright, who's just been insanely good the last three or four weeks, 18 points. He hit five threes. So those three guys delivered 14 of your 15 three-pointers. And, you know, they just had a, had a good game shooting the basketball. If you're, if you're making shots, they were 17 of 18 from the line. And um, they played pretty good defense. They, you're making shots, it seems like everything else sort of comes yeah. together. They kept the turnovers down, uh, even though they only turned LSU over six times. They turned it over 12 times, but it really didn't hurt them. They had 12, I'm sorry, they had 20 assists on their 25 baskets. That tells me the ball was moving and they were making the next pass and looking for the open man. That may be a season high for them in terms of team assists. We'll mm-hmm. have to go back and double check, but especially the play of Michi Johnson, who actually looked like a point guard that they want. Six assists, go along with 20 points and five of nine shooting from three-point range. Every college basketball coach would tell you they look a whole lot smarter when their team's making shots, and they certainly did. Question is, did Gigi accept the message? Did it finally get through his head? Hey, we're going to go play without you. You want to jump on board with us the rest of the way? They stick him back in the starting lineup. He plays more minutes than anybody on the team. As a matter of fact, he played the most minutes of anybody in the game and turned out to, to have a terrific ball game, almost a double-double. So maybe Lamont Paris sitting him for a couple of ball games now, reinserting him into the starting lineup will at least give him some confidence here the final couple of weeks of the season going into the tournament. Well, keep in mind uh, they played without Tachico Carter Jr., mm-hmm. who ordinarily would have been starting. Maybe that's why he started, or maybe they're going to make a change anyway. We'll see moving forward. But they were shorthanded. Uh, Ford was also out for the game of injury, so they were down a couple of players. And so they picked it up. And our poll question of the week, while we're talking about G.G. Jackson, our poll question of the week is this. Jackson is in the top 12 in the SEC in scoring, rebounding, and field goal percentage. Despite a rocky February that saw him benched after questioning his offensive involvement in an Instagram live, where will he play next season? That is our poll question of the week. Your answers are USC, another D1 program, the NBA, and the G League. And 294 votes in this afternoon, 25.5% say the NBA. But the most say 32% say the G League. So 32% say the G League, 25.5% say the NBA, 21.8% say another D1 program, 20.7% of the respondents believe he'll be back at USC for another season next year. I wonder if we had asked that question right after he signed with Carolina what the response would be. I bet it would be 0% chance that he was coming back to Carolina and probably 99% chance he was going to the NBA because of what we thought we knew about him going into the year. My question about the G League, though, and it's interesting to me that our listeners, that's the most popular of the four options for you. Is the G League that much a better option for him than staying where he is and playing another season with, with the Gamecocks? I mean, I get the NBA. That makes yeah. perfect sense. But is the G League all that better an option for him other than staying in college another season? Well, it all depends on what's important to you. Um, if it's about playing basketball all the time, not having to go to class, just mm-hmm. and being yeah. coached, on just everything uh, being basketball-centric, and that's all you're doing, you know, then that's the G League. Uh, if it's about money 
you know, is he making as as much in his uh, NIL situation at, at South Carolina to to match what he would make in the G League? I don't know. I don't know what they would pay him in the G in the G League. I don't know what he makes at South Carolina. Right. Um, so maybe that's a wash. I don't know. Um, if he is still thinking about the NBA draft, it sounds like. I mean, is he a lottery pick? Do people still think he's a lottery pick? He played like a guy Saturday that could play his way into the lottery, maybe the latter part of the lottery picks. Six nine guy shooting the three, you know, very athletic. These guys don't grow on trees, as you know. Um, so is he worth a lottery pick at this point? That's the big question. Wow. I, I don't know the answer to that, Phil. I don't know what NBA scouts look like. I'm pretty sure they don't really care how you assimilate within your team. I wouldn't think at the collegiate level, they're more concerned about how that athleticism, as you pointed out, would translate to the NBA game. I think with another season at the collegiate level or in, in the developmental league, with the weight room in particular, because if there is a knock probably on Gigi, and it's not his fault, he's 18 years old, but he doesn't have the body to be able to go 82 games against men in the NBA, but very few rookies do. So maybe maybe that's his thinking, but you're right. I, I don't know what NBA scouts look like. There are a lot of things that he has that you can't coach. I know that. And and top first and foremost is his ability to, to run up and down the floor and also his ability to shoot the three. I mean, you look back to – and we've talked about him shooting the three maybe a little bit too much, but he is actually the uh, the lead – second, I should say uh, third, actually, behind both uh, Michi Johnson and uh, 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 Jacoby Wright, I believe. Check that. It's uh, Chico Carter with made threes for the Gamecocks. But for a guy his size to have hit nearly 50 this season, it's pretty impressive. Absolutely. Absolutely. He also got on the boards some Saturday, mm-hmm. which, you know, has not been his strength – Throughout the year, for the most part, I, I mentioned where he is in rebounding. He had a well, maybe I shouldn't say for the entire season, but during this little time of turmoil that he went through, he really wasn't getting on the boards. He got on the boards pretty well against uh, LSU. Uh, and by the way, with that win in the net ranking, the uh, Gamecocks have climbed to to forty two. I believe is where I had them just a moment ago. Let's see. They are at uh, 242. Yeah, Gamecocks are at 242. Could make a big jump if they beat Alabama. <laughs> if they beat Alabama so. on uh, on Wednesday night, they'd make a they'd make a big jump. Uh, I had a chance to uh, go over and watch Coastal Carolina. You were there too. Uh, watch Coastal Carolina on Saturday. Had a chance to win one, and uh, boy, took a three when they didn't need a three there in the mm-hmm. last couple of seconds, and had to foul and. And that was that tough loss for Cliff Ellis. It's been that kind of year. I know you were busy doing your post-game radio show, and I was talking to him right there on the floor for a few minutes, and he wants to coach another year. He said, I don't want to go out this way. He says, I I got one more year left on my contract, and I'd I'd like to coach another year. Personally, of course, I think they should give him another year. I don't know what Matt Hogue is thinking about. I don't know what kind of pressure, if any, he's under from people about the basketball program. But if anybody can fix it, I think Cliff Ellis can. But here's the sad part about it. If you look at it from his standpoint, um, Chris, and you've seen it all, I mean, I think each of the last three years, his best player after the season transferred somewhere else. Yep. He had one go to Michigan, had one go to South Carolina, had one go to, I think, BYU, wasn't it? 
Yeah, Rudy Williams off of last year's team. Really good score, and actually it's contributing big time for BYU. He mm-hmm. and uh, Ibrima both transferring out this past offseason, and the curious thing is going to be what happens with this team, this roster, if Coach Ellis is retained and comes back next season. How many of the guys currently on the roster, they had to bring in 11 new faces, mm-hmm. much like Lamont Paris had to do. You want to talk about mixing and matching and trying to find guys in the lab just to be able to put a, a roster together. Uh, Coastal only had three guys returning from last season that are on this year's team, and you wonder how many of those will stick around. And Will Akai is not going to be one of them because he was honored on Saturday as part of uh, Senior Day. So it's down to Josh Aduje and also Isam Mustafa, who both have eligibility left. But the question is, do they want to spend it at Coastal or do they want to go try their uh, <clears throat> hand somewhere else like several of their teammates have done the past couple of years? Well, I tell you what, you have to have some fast lips and some loose lips to call some of those names on the Coastal <laughs> roster. I've gotten used to it over time. Wasn't that a good game, though? That was a good game. If you didn't care who won, it was a really, really entertaining game. And Coastal has played so many of those this year, they just always seem to end up on the wrong side of the scoreboard. That little short short guard was knocking down those big threes. What's his name? Abraham? Henry Abraham for Coastal and and Mason Harrell on the flip side for Texas State, who is a big-time anomaly now because he is a guy who started at Texas State and is going to finish his career there. All right, be right back. are back at Sports Talk on a Monday night. Good to have you with us. Phil Kornblut, Chris Bergen, and Pat Daniel. Our phone number, 888-898-2525. South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number since 2002. More than $2.2 billion in lottery proceeds has been used to fund life scholarships for the state's college-bound students. Learn more about the lottery's impact at sceducationlottery.com slash education wins. Playing for fun is a win for education. Get to your phone calls here in just a couple of moments. Got some other things to uh, go over. Want to remind you, if you ever lose us over the airwaves over one of our great radio stations here in South Carolina, you can always find us on our various streams on Twitter, on Facebook, and on YouTube. Also, the audio stream on our website, sportstalksc.com. So be sure to check that out. And if you miss a show, You can go back and catch our show. We have it in podcast form for you. It's on SoundCloud. It's on Spotify. It's on Apple Podcasts. It's on Google Podcasts. So you like podcasts, I'm sure you subscribe to one of those four. You can get our podcast right there. Or you can go to our website, and it's uh, hosted for you there on our website as well. Right column down towards the bottom, you can find the show from the previous night, but Spotify is where we put uh, everything and we take the various elements of the show, the recruiting report, any interviews, we put those in podcast form for you. So if you miss something, easy to go back and get and listen to while you're out playing some golf. Nothing like having sports talk in your ear when you're standing over a three-footer or just out for a jog or a walk or anything like that. So I want to remind you about that. Uh, a few other uh, major notes Today, and we'll get to your phone calls uh, after we hit up a few of these quick notes on this uh, February 20th. The USC women, of course, uh, they got uh, 
stretched out a little bit yesterday at Ole Miss, but they managed to win. Leah Boston had to play 33 minutes, no 20-minute uh, outing this time. This was not a blowout. Uh, went into overtime, but they did win at Ole Miss. Uh, they remain number one in the AP women's ranking. Uh, they're just not a unanimous selection uh, this How time that out. Possible that I they're just, not I didn't unanimous. Understand that at all? Yeah. Yes. I mean, I get it. Indiana's got a really, really good team, and they've got some quality wins. But it's not like South Carolina has lost yet. Mm. That that column, that number in the right hand column, should be pretty, imp- you know, pretty important. And I just don't understand how you don't look at them still as the unanimous number one in the country. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I can't answer that. But that is the case as far as uh, a couple of other things to tell you about. Wofford's Ryan Galaney is the Southern Conference Baseball Player of the Week. He only hit 818 over the weekend. He slugged at 1.273, an on-base percentage of 846. My question is, what's his war? <laughs> you know that is Exit something velocity. you know the thing about baseball now it's become so heavily dominated with analytics and they got all these different categories but win over replacement i mean i i have no concept of what that means about i don't even know how to explain i could go look it up but off the top of my head and it's something that all the baseball people now refer to when they're talking about a player what was his war which stands for Wins over replacement. Can you explain it off the top of your head? I, I don't understand most of the stats that uh, I'm still trying to figure out OPS in baseball. So when I figure that out, I'll, I'll move on to a war. Mm. That'll be the next one I worry about. Uh, USC women, by the way, their game, their next game is a sellout. Their senior night game will be a sellout. And that is, uh, when is that? I know it's this week because the tournament's coming up. I got to go back here and look and see. Uh, when it is and who it's against, but they did announce it as a sellout. USC did today, and that is going to be on February 26th against Georgia. So this Sunday, noon game, Georgia, because um, they play at Tennessee this week. They play at Tennessee on Thursday and then uh, Georgia. So Tennessee, I mean, good team going into Knoxville. Obviously a lot of history there. And uh, we'll see if they can escape that and, and keep their record clean. Uh, what else we got here? Senior right-hander Ty Good, College of Charleston, the CAA co-pitcher of the week, following an outing of five shutout one-hit innings against number 14 Virginia Tech in a win to open the season. Unfortunately for the Cougars, they lost the next two to the Hokies to lose that series. Uh, South Carolina remains uh, ranked 23rd in D1 baseball's ranking. Only team in the state ranked anywhere. Uh, None of the other polls rank anybody from the state. So South Carolina, the only ranked team at this point in time. And uh, what else to tell you about here? Oh, 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 this big story that Pete Yannity broke this afternoon. And then it was picked up by um, others. But Dorman High School's uh, football coach, uh, Dustin Curtis, uh, stepped down today. And according to Pete, when he first tweeted this out, he stepped down to become the head football coach at Lexington High School. Later, Pete kind of uh, readjusted his tweets to say, um, after talking to sources again, that uh, future plans for Curtis at this time were not definite. But apparently the Lexington job is something that's in play here. Of course, they're looking for a coach. Now, Lou Bazejack from the state, 
picked up on the story and he talked to Curtis. Curtis is his primary reason, he said, for leaving Dorman was to come back to uh, be with his ailing stepfather who was battling leukemia. So it's uh, important to be in the so area for his family. Yeah. But also, of course, he's got to have a job. And uh, the Lexington job, that's his alma mater. And he's an excellent, excellent coach. Did a great job at AC Floor. And, you know, made it to the second round of the playoffs. Won nine games at Dorman this past season. And 28-4 and four in his three seasons at AC Floor. Won a state championship in 4A back in 2020. So it's a big move. It's a, I mean, it's it's big high school story. It's a big move from a one big school to another. Uh, if indeed the Lexington thing uh, happens, which you know apparently at some point in time they're going to announce that, and and it's going to happen, so uh, that's a can that's a remember, big piece of news. Can you remember a more volatile high school football off season, especially this late? I mean, we're coming up. I, I realize still three months out before spring practice begins in May, but. I can't remember a season where you've had this much coaching turnal, uh, turmoil and turnover in February and January like we've had around mm, the state. And yeah. really, really big jobs, yeah. too. It's no offense to some of the smaller schools, but these are major jobs yeah. in our state. Dorman, obviously, is, mm-hmm. is the next one on that list. Yeah, and you talk about what happened at Berkeley and, and what mm-hmm. happened at Fort Dorchester. You're right. We've had some uh, unsettled times. Also, uh, over the weekend, of course, we were at the coaches' clinic on Friday night. Had a great time there. They did another super job. Uh, Clemson coaches were there. South Carolina coaching staff was there. I think Shane Beamer. I wasn't there Saturday, but I think Shane Beamer might have been there. I can't say for sure, just based on his tweet. I think uh, he might have been there with his uh, assistant coaches who were making the rounds and talking to the uh, to the coaches in clinic form. And the South Carolina Athletic Coaches Association and the Football Coaches Association officially recognized the South Carolina Shrine Bowl coaching staff for 2023. So the staff will be Wayne Farmer from Calhoun County, and he'll be assisted by Russell Blackston of Belton Honeypath, Chad Leaphart of Gilbert, Victor Floyd of Chester, Rusty Sharpia of Brooklyn Casey, and Carlisle Kuntz from Hartsville. So they will carry the torch for the South Carolina Shrine Bowl team. And they'll have a tough act to follow because Jerry Brown and that staff in 2022 did a heck of a job to get a W for the state of South Carolina in the Shrine Bowl. Okay, uh, is there anything else to mention here before we get to phone calls? 888-898-2525 is the number. Oh, the race yesterday, typical Daytona. Daytona, Talladega, they never fail to deliver excitement and usually very tight finishes. I, like you, we were talking about this off the air. I hate that the race ended under caution. It would have been a great, uh, it would have been a great finish had they been able to race back to the checkers. But the rule is the rule, and when they push that button and the yellow light comes on, whoever is leading, that's your winner. Stenhouse, you know, had a little bit of that fender in front when the yellow came out on the last overtime lap there. But otherwise, it was a heck of a race. Fifty-three different uh, lead changes throughout the race. And a lot of drama, a lot of wrecking, of course. And it's amazing to me how the world's greatest stock car drivers can drive 495 miles, <laughs> you know, close together at 200 and, um, or 190 miles an hour plus and be okay. But when it comes down to those last four or five laps, man, they just can't hold it together. 
all those guys trying to go get the Super Bowl of motorsports, and that's why you start seeing a lot of wrecks late, and that's why normally you're going to get an overtime at Daytona. And I do like NASCAR going to that scenario as opposed to the race just ending under caution. I realize it did yesterday, but I wish they had been able to go back and, and finish that because it would have been an interesting sprint to see if Joey Logano would have been able to nudge back ahead of Ricky Stenhouse before they crossed the start-finish line. Mm-hmm. But uh, otherwise, I thought it was uh, especially the second and third stages. First stage, as uh, as both Mike uh, Joey on Fox and also Dave Moody on MRN said yesterday, it was like a, a Noah's Ark race, two by two, all the way, all the way back through the field. First stage wasn't all that entertaining, but boy, after they got to the second stage, they they let their hair down a little bit, and it was it was an outstanding finish to that race. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. And uh, one more thing to mention, and then we'll get to phone calls after the break. So those of you holding, hang in there. We'll get to you. This story came out today from Sports Illustrated, and we got to talk about this. And the story is about rule changes being talked about for college football. Rule changes that are being talked about to speed up the game, not in terms of what's on the field, but in terms of actual amount of time it takes to play a college football game. The two most dramatic recommendations or proposals that are being talked about. One would be after an incomplete pass, once the ball is spotted, the clock resumes. You know, currently after an incomplete pass, clock is dead. Mm-hmm. Now, after an incomplete pass, spot the ball, clock will start right away, except in the last two minutes. So that is one of the more controversial suggestions. And then the other one that is uh, – drawing a bit of controversy is uh the one where I gotta find it here. Um let's see. Well here is one. Um prohibiting consecutive timeouts such as icing kickers. So you couldn't call executive timeouts. Consecutive timeouts. Then another one, no longer extending a first or third quarter for an untimed down if the quarter ends on a defensive penalty. The I down would be clocked yeah, the, the the down would be clocked starting the next quarter. Okay, those aren't considered to be you know too much of a problem to mm-hmm. talk about. Um, oh, the other uh, the other one I was looking for, the clock will continue to run after a first down, except inside of two minutes and a half. So right now in college football, you get a first down, the clock stops. In the NFL, the clock continues. Mm-hmm. Now in college, they're suggesting that. You, uh, when you get a first down, the clock uh, would continue to run, except inside of two minutes. And then the more controversial fourth proposal, the clock continuing to run after an incomplete pass once the ball is spotted for play. And um, the idea here is is to, to cut down. You know, college football games run about three hours right now. Three. No, more than that, almost four. But those, well, that's all a, those th- things aren't the problem. They well, aren't the problem, and they're never going to address the real problem in college football and why the games take too long. The TV commercials. TV commercials. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest problem. None of that is going to speed up the game if they still have three-and-a-half-minute commercial breaks after every touchdown. Mm-hmm. Go time an NFL uh, commercial break and judge it versus what's happening in college football. But the powers that be don't want to bite the hand that feeds them, i.e. ESPN. And if ESPN says we've got to have a four-minute commercial break, they're going to take a four-minute commercial break. But none of the rules that they're trying to change is the problem. The problem is the commercials during the ballgame, and they're not going to fix that. 
So this is all window dressing that's really not going to make that big a difference, in my opinion. College football conducted a field study last season to ascertain the impact of the proposed changes. A running clock after a first down would eliminate about seven to nine plays per game. A running clock after an incomplete pass would eliminate more than twice that number. I can't believe anybody wants that. I mean, you're talking about eliminating about 25 plays per game. That's going to hurt you in comeback attempts. Um, it's going to change the way strategy is is played out in a lot of ways in these games when you have fewer attempts offensively. Um, and I don't know what the rush is. And I'm with you. Obviously, TV timeouts uh, impact it greatly. The longer halftime, they have a longer halftime in college than they do in the NFL. NFL halftime is only 12 minutes. You know, by the time those guys are in the locker room and, and do whatever they do, they're back on the field, you know. Um, so anyway, that's something that's being talked about, and uh, we'll see what happens with this moving forward. We have got to hit the break, and then I promise we'll get to uh, phone calls. 888 South Carolina Education Lottery, lucky number. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't see the reason for it. I think um, I don't. I didn't like the idea of when you run out of bounds, the clock continues to run. Right. I mean, for so long following football, the clock would stop. That was part of running out of bounds. Now, of course, last five minutes. But I didn't like it when they went to that change. I'm not in favor of shortening the actual playing time of a game. Major Downer here from the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources. Boating season is just around the corner. To make sure that your boat is ready, check your registration sticker and ensure it's current. Find your registration card, make sure your life jackets are in good shape, and check your fire extinguisher as well. For more information on boating or boat tiling questions, visit dnr.sc.gov backslash boating. Hope, life, and the Great Palmetto. What do these things have in common? Scholarship dollars. The SC Hope, the Life, and the Palmetto Fellow Scholarships are funded by the lottery players of this great state. And after 20 years, you've invested over $7 billion in education. $7 billion. Impressive. The South Carolina Education Lottery. When you play, we all win. Hi, I'm Jim Corbett. I've been an attorney for more than 30 years. There's one thing I've learned about injury cases. It's you need the personal touch. You need the lawyer to get to know you and describe your damages. You don't want a case manager talking to an insurance company and then talking to you and then talking to maybe to a lawyer with limited experience at the last minute to try to settle a case. I talk to you. I find out what your case is about. Jim at JimCorbettAttorney.com. Jim at JimCorbettAttorney.com for your injury cases. Founders Federal Credit Union knows your life is busy and your money is important. We are proud to offer local personalized services and convenient online services like Founders Online and the Founders app. You'll love being with us as much as we love serving you. Visit RelaxJoinFounders.com or one of our 37 convenient locations to see if you qualify for membership with Founders. Relax. Win with Founders. Terms and conditions apply. Founders Federal Credit Union is federally insured by NCUA. All right, one more bit on this 
this story about changing the rules in college football to speed it up. The average FBS game last season, three hours and 21 minutes. A slight increase, three hours and 18 minutes from the previous year. Five minutes longer than 2018. Who cares? It's five, yeah. it, it's five minutes. Even if it's 10 minutes. I mean, people go to college football because they love being there. They love to be in the stadium. And they don't care if the game lasts three and a half hours, 315 uh, as long as it's a good game and their team is winning. Uh, let's go to Larry over in uh, Swansea. Been holding for a little bit. Larry, sorry for the long wait. We had a lot to do there. Uh, welcome into Sports Talk. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Good evening. Mr. I don't, Phil, Pat, and Chris. Yes, sir. Got, but before I say anything about the Gamecock weekend, I got to say something to Clemson Bryant, uh, Tiger Bryant, Tiger Bryant, and Clemson Bryant, and Clemson Ron. Yeah. You went down to Florida State and you beat Florida State. That was at you Clemson. Left. Okay. Anyway, you didn't. And they played. They played. Uh, went to Louisville. Louisville. You went to. You went to Louisville. You didn't take a game with you. What happened to you? You've been talking bad about my game cards now. I'm going to talk, especially old Clemson Ron. I guess that's, that's who he is. But let me tell you, a ugly loss is better than a pretty, uh, no, 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 I done messed up. An ugly win is better <laughs> than a pretty loss. There you go. Well, I'll well, tell you what, they had me sweating Saturday, uh, Sunday. But, oh, uh, Boston and uh, Bray and uh, Cook pulled it out. But uh, Gigi Jackson, that old pronosticator, tell you something. Next year, Gigi will be the Southeastern Conference player of the year, and he will be a Gamecock, and he'll be a first-round first. First round draft choice next year, hmm. and that's about, yes sir. You don't believe me, but it is. And my baseball team looks pretty good. I ain't gonna say nothing else about them, but they they look pretty good. But the pole wasn't much, but the pitching looked good, the hitting looked good, and they made one error, and it was in the last inning of the final game. But. Uh, it is a good weekend to be a game cop. They did a lot of and winning I, over the weekend. Men's tennis team yes, got a couple of nice wins up in Chicago. Women's tennis team beat Wake Forest on the road. And um, you mentioned the baseball. Baseball team was – they had no competition, but they responded like they should have. I mean, they smashed the ball. They pitched well. Uh, only committed one error for the weekend. So – they did what they should have done against an inferior opponent and got some really good pitching, though. They had to be feeling good about the way those three starters went out there and threw the ball, respectively. So that was a that was a good sign for them. So, yeah, uh, Gamecock Athletics had a nice weekend. Men's team won. Women's team, women's team won. So, yeah, they had a nice weekend. Yes, sir. Thank you. Love all y'all. But the old Gamecock just laying here in the bed and – just thinking, boy, I just hope the good Lord gave me another two or three years. I'm going to see the SEC Conference Player of the Year, G.G. Jackson, 
I'm going to see a College World Series strip this year. Ooh. I'm going to be okay. Go Gamecocks. All Love right. all y'all. And I'm going to tell Tiger Bond, you should have took your game to Louisville if you played at Clemson against Florida State. <laughs> and no Clemson run, I'm going to tell you. Oh, Gamecock, Larry, you said something about wearing a skirt. I done put that skirt down when I got the big boy's pants on. Go Gamecocks. Love all y'all. All right, Larry. Thank you very much. Larry's uh you know what? I think old Larry's going to be around long enough to see everything he just talked about and more, maybe even a Gamecock football team in the playoffs. How about that? They should They should take that. They should put up a banner in their locker room that says, let's win today for Larry. Huh? How about that? Let's Gamecock win today Larry for Larry. So. Yeah, because Gamecock Larry said so. Win today for Larry because Gamecock Larry said so. I think that'd be a nice rallying cry for the Gamecocks there. All right, Larry, thank you for your phone call. We will continue with calls in the next hour. Also give you the recruiting report tonight. And other than that, we are uh, wide open for your phone calls. Again, the number, 888-898-2525 is how you can reach us. want to mention here, going to the top of the hour, ran into my good buddy Jimmy Smith at the beach over the weekend. I tell you what, you call Jimmy on a Saturday, you know what he's doing? He's working. You call Jimmy on a Sunday, you know what he's doing? He's working. And my point is, you need something at the beach as far as a place to stay, a place to rent, a place to buy, no matter what day of the week, no matter what time of the day, no matter what the weather is, Jimmy Smith is like the postman. He will deliver for you. He'll meet you wherever you want to meet. He'll get you into whatever you want to get in to take a look at, and then he'll take it from there. So remember, when you're looking for the best at the beach as far as a vacation getaway or maybe buying some property, PauliesVacationRentals.com, James Smith Real Estate. 843-237-4246 for your perfect beach giveaway. That's Jimmy Smith, 843-237-4246. Top of the hour, we'll be back. Welcome back to Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. You can reach the guys with the South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number, 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now back to Phil, Chris, and Pat with the second hour of Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. All right, so the the longest average for a football game in FBS going back to 2018 Again, I'm pulling more out of this story from Sports Illustrated. The longest average time from 2018 through 2022, three hours and 21 minutes. So, I mean, like, to me, that what's the big deal? So, you want football games played in two and a half hours, 245? I mean, what is the end game here? What are you trying to get to? What is wrong with a three and a half hour football game? I see nothing wrong with it. I've. You know, I've sat through quick games. I've sat through long games. Now, you know, where it gets You're to be a problem in sports. Old, That's the problem. You're so, not 25 years old. They're, they're trying to target a younger audience who has a zero attention span. 
and the NFL can squeeze in its 105 start, 102 start time and be done by 4 o'clock. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to make college football turn into the NFL, and I don't understand why in that regard they want that. What's wrong with having two separate styles of play, two separate styles of game? That's what makes college football so so great. And you talked about the halftime show being shorter in the NFL. They don't have to worry about marching bands. I hope they don't take that away from college football. That's part of the tradition. That's part of the pageantry, uh, pageantry mm-hmm. of college football. Yeah. yeah, I mentioned the NFL has a 12-minute halftime. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. I'm sorry if you're making your plans built around the desires of the 20- to 30-year age group, then you're making a big mistake when it comes to sports. Because my take on that crowd is they're not really – into sports for the sporting side of it. You know, they're into it for the socializing and the gambling and everything else. I think maybe third on their list is how the team did. You know, that's my take. Uh, if you're making your plans built around that, then you're going to make some major, major mistakes and, and kill your sport probably. Um, everything's going to be like, um, you know, the XFL here pretty soon. Pat was telling me about the XFL game. I, I glanced at it the other night, but um, – some of the new rules that the some of the rules that they're playing with, like a, a three point conversion from the ten yard line. You can kick it for one, go from the three for two, or from the ten for three. Um and of course that's the XFL. They're gonna do some strange things to try to create as much interest as they can. So I just you know, if, if that's what you're programming towards, I think you're going to um well, I mean, is it gonna kill the sport if you try to shorten it by a half hour or so no it's not going to kill it but it's not going it, it, i don't see where it makes it any better to try to rush through a football game just like you know i love a two and a half hour baseball game but i have no problem with a baseball game that's three plus hours uh a nine inning baseball game that runs three plus hours now you know when baseball drags on to 13 14 innings when you don't have the ghost runner and all that in play that can be a bit tiresome, but a three-hour, three-and-a-half-hour baseball game, that's fine. Uh, we've gotten to where everything's got to be so condensed. We're in this microwave uh, mm-hmm. mentality once again, and I just I don't understand the problem here. To me, there's no problem with football. It's like people messing with college basketball all the time. There's no problem with college basketball. But you keep trying to invent problems to come up with new rules for it. I, I just don't understand it. But um, who knows who's pulling the strings? Maybe it's television. Uh, maybe it's the uh, commissioners, maybe it's some other power brokers. I don't know, but I don't see a problem here and why you are creating the uh, the 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 um, the atmosphere of a problem when you're when the longest average over the last five years, the longest average game time is three minutes. I mean, three hours and twenty one minutes. Well, the funny part is uh, TV uh, maybe steering this ship. It's like a uh, bank robber being upset that he got to go. He went to prison after robbing a bank. You're the you created this problem. Mm-hmm. If you want to fix college football, cut the commercial breaks down. There's your solution. They'll never go that route. They figure it's the problem with the game, which it is hardly the problem with the game. Well, here's something else we haven't talked about that extends games, too, and that is the replay stoppages. Mm-hmm. According to this story, FBS games have about 2.3 replay stoppages per game, and that figure continues to rise and has officials considering a coach's challenge system something that seems likely in the future. Television commercials don't impact game time significantly, this story says. From 2018 to 2020, games <laughs> games not televised finished only about two minutes sooner 
than those televised. And guys, this is another thing. I, you referenced the XFL, and I would like to bring that up again if I may. And look, the, the actual football this weekend, for anybody out there who watched, left something to be desired. It, it wasn't the best football. It got progressively better, but there was clear rust on a lot of these guys who aren't playing every weekend like the NFL guys. But the rules were what was enticing to me. Because you talk about how we seem to be wanting to make up problems and fix non-existent issues. Well, what about issues that we do know about, we do complain about? We complain about extra points, two-point conversions. All right, well, now you have three options after a touchdown. You can go for one, you can go for two, you can go for three. We've, we've complained about injuries, in particular concussions on kickoffs, and that being, quote-unquote, the most dangerous play in football. Well, I thought two ideas the XFL has come up with were spectacular, and now the NFL, I read this morning, is already considering one of them, and that's in lieu of an onside kick, a team has the opportunity to go for a 4th and 15 from their own 25-yard line. They mm. get one play. Mm. If they convert it, they now get to retain possession at their own 40-yard line or if they made it further downfield, and they now have a chance to go down and score. And we saw a team do that over the weekend, led by, led by former Alabama co- quarterback A.J. McCarron. They got a touchdown, three-point conversion, then completed a 4th and 15 and, and retained possession again, went down, scored the ball. They scored 15 points in the last 90 seconds of the game. We also talk about uh, uh, injuries on kickoffs, and because of the team kicking off essentially has 40 yards to gain momentum, and they're running full speed against a receiving team that is kind of standstill. Well, now the two teams line up five yards apart from each other, and I think it was about the 35-yard line on the side of the field where the ball is being kicked. The teams are not allowed to move until – the receiving team catches the football. Once they do, the two teams then run. Well, now there's no momentum being built up, and it's more like a regular play from scrimmage. And I thought that was really enticing. A lot of fans seemed to like that. And let's go back to the original iteration of the XFL. That's where the Sky came, Sky Cam came from. Mm-hmm. That originated there. That's where the, you had the idea of coaches and player, players being mic'd up on the sidelines. Those were XFL rules that were then adopted by the NFL and it just seems like, for whatever, whether, however you feel about the XFL, at least they're experimenting with rule tweaks that that people, coaches, players alike, all actually complain about. These are not manufactured problems; these are proven problems, and they're offering solutions. Yeah, they're they're being very creative because they've been given carte blanche to do whatever they want to do. Working with television, remember the the cameras were on the field; the cameras were in the in the huddles; the, the cameras are right behind the quarterbacks. They were just trying to. To bring the the fan uh, right into right into the game there, and and some of those ideas. Of course, the XFL died once, sure, twice. They brought yeah, twice yeah, and um, and they brought it back, and, and they're doing all kind of uh, funny things with it. And I, some of it is interesting. The idea of not having the onside kick, but having that um, one play for what was it? Did you say it's? You can still do an onside kick. It's right. now you have the option. You can do a standard onside kick or. You get the ball at your own 25-yard line, and you have one play. It's a 4th and 15 play, so you have to make it to at least the 40-yard line. If you do so, you then retain possession and continue on down the field. And they tried to, they came up with that, that yardage, I think, based on where kickoffs are, and that would be about where you would get the ball mm-hmm. if you successfully made an onside kick. And one more thing to add, sorry to interrupt, but you, you mentioned uh, uh, replays and how that adds extra time. 
Well, the XFL also has streamlined that, where they immediately go to, to one person who's watching all these cameras, and you actually are in the room with the replay official. So essentially, you get to look under the hood, and you hear them saying, all right, I want to look at that. I want to zoom in. Okay, I see this angle. Well, now let's sync it up with this reverse angle. Okay, the ball clearly touched the ground. Boom, incomplete pass. And they do it all in under 60 seconds. It was incredibly quick, but also it was nice from a fan's perspective getting to look under the hood and actually see what goes on during those replays. All right, uh, phone number 888-898-2525, South Carolina Education Lottery, lucky number here on Sports Talk. Let's go to, oh, his ears must have been burning. Let's go to Tiger Bryan in Lancaster. Tiger Bryan, welcome into Sports Talk. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, guys. I I enjoy the show. Hey, I love this guy, uh, Gamecock Larry. Gamecock Larry. And I, I, I hope he stays around a long time so he, he'll eat some of that crow he's been eating all these years. <laughs> you know? But <laughs> other than that, <laughs> yeah. Right, but I still love him. Hey, he loves he loves his game talks like I love my Tigers. Corn. This is true. I got respect the man for that. Yes, this is true. I got respect, game clock Larry. Mm-hmm. I got I do. And I, I hope you're around a long time, buddy. But yep. yeah, you come out of college stuff. You know, I wonder when they gonna have commercials with the NIL players that during the game at halftime or you know what I mean? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, like you said a long time that transfer. Portal, the way I call it, Portal. Mm. Yeah, Portal John. Transfer Portal John. They have worked college football. They hadn't run it yet, but they on the way. And uh, I just wanted to call. You tell I hope he's listening. Gamecock Larry, I respect you. I love you. I enjoy listening to you. And, you know, you're making me a celebrity here in Lancaster, South Carolina. And I hope y'all have a great night. And, hey, what about the Tiger girls softball? They're they blowing it up. Ain't they? They're good. Clemson had yeah. a nice well, weekend as well. I hope they stay good. I, I'm not going to brag on them like I did the basketball team. <laughs> yeah, basketball team sort of took it on the chin over the weekend, but the Clemson softball team, and thank you, uh, Tiger Bryan. Appreciate you joining us. Tiger uh, softball team, uh, that's just been an amazing story how that team just came together, what, two, three years ago and is now one of the best programs in the country and has one of the best players in the country, and they've done nothing but win from the get-go. And they're having another uh, great season thus far here early in the year, of course. There's a lot of, lot of softball to be played out there. Uh, let's see, they are 10-0, uh, and 0, and uh, they are coming off a weekend in which uh, they won uh, – Wait, what was that? No, no, I'm sorry. What is it? They are. I'm, let me get this right. Let me get this right here. What is there? They won. They are 10-0. You were right. Am I right? 10-0? Mm-hmm. Yep. Number five in the country. Okay. I'm trying to read my stuff here. So they uh, they are 10-0. Okay. But are they coming off a 10 nothing win over Ohio State's what I'm seeing here? Yeah. Yes. They, they beat Ohio State 10 nothing, And that made them 10-0, right? Correct. Oh, there it is. Okay, yeah. So they're 10-0. So they're having a great year. Um, and, and to be fair and balanced, the USC uh, softball team, since we're talking about this, uh, they're having a great start to their season as well. And they were coming off a not-so-good season last year. I think they had a losing record last year. They are 8-1, and one, and they've won eight in a row. They lost their opener. Uh, they've won uh, eight in a row, 
and so they're sitting there at uh, eight and one. So softball is is really good uh, in our state here uh, so far. Uh, what did I hear? What did I read? What did I hear? Um, somebody is donating. Let's see. What did I read? Um, somebody's donating a bunch of money somewhere to be dedicated to women's athletics. I shouldn't bring something up unless I've got it right in front of me. That's a broad spectrum. Yeah, somebody, somebody somewhere. somewhere is donating a bunch of money for women's. I can't remember if it was a specific team or if it was for an organization somewhere. Um, but I tell you, you know, women's sports continues to grow and grow and grow. And not too long ago, I saw um, some writing about the idea of an all-sports network just for women's sports. you think that could be sustained, an all-sports television network, totally for women? Yeah, I think it could be sustained. Depends on what the programming is. You're going to also carry WNBA games. You know, you're going to have to go, what are you going to carry during the fall? I guess it would be mostly volleyball and soccer that you would get on during the fall. If you're just strictly college, would they branch down into high school? I think there are a lot of options there, and I think folks would tune in. Yeah. I mean, listen, when you start a net TV network, you can find everybody's willing to give you their product, whether it's college, mm-hmm. junior college. You'll find if you can put them on television, that seems to be the end all for everybody uh, in thinking about getting uh, publicity. So, um, yeah, that's something that's been talked about as well. So women's sports uh, growing and uh, being more uh, being better funded and the young girls are beginning to pick up the skills at an earlier age. Thus, by the time they get to college, they're better overall athletes. I still say the, the basketball game, the girls, the women's game, you know, you shouldn't compare it to the men's game. People who do are missing the point. Mm-hmm. Um, they still are, by and large, you know, even the best team in the country, South Carolina, they don't shoot it particularly well all the time. Uh, it's the stickbacks, it's the rebounds, it's the putbacks, it's the layups that dominate uh, the women's game at this particular time. But I guess over time, uh, the shooting will, will, will get better. Um, I mean, I, I guess you got some teams, some individuals who shoot it pretty well, but by and large, it's a miss and rebound and stick back game in women's basketball, college basketball. Would you see it that way? It's true. I, it is. But, uh, I mean, how much more? Let's let's take South Carolina, for instance. Just off the top of my head, I think they probably shoot for the season right around 38 39% from the field. But when they go rebound, half their misses, mm-hmm. like you pointed out, that's how they compensate for that. But a good men's team, what well, they shoot from the floor, about 44%. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not talking about a wide array of difference. And a lot of the good men's team, much like South Carolina, get close-up shots. They, they either rely on driving to the basket or shooting a three. So the, the game is similar because that's what the ladies do. They, they love to shoot the three and love to, if you're South Carolina, they, they live in the paint. But you take the dunks away, there are not a whole lot of big differences in the two sports. Let's go to uh, Keith and Camden. Next phone call here on Sports Talk. Keith, welcome in. How are you tonight, sir? I am doing great. i tell you what, I wouldn't want to walk into the gym uh, in a pickup game and uh, play them. <laughs> well, I mean, I guarantee you, they'd run us to death. Well, I'm, uh, aren't you yeah. now? I mean, you're a guy that's like, I'm going to, you're, you're past fifty, right? 
Well, look, nineteen eighty graduate. Watch it. Okay, and you're yeah. not all right, yeah. and you're not lean and 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 mean like well, you used no, to be. No, I'm just like Rick Sanford. So, ah. you know. well, you yeah. know what? All right, since you brought it up, I'll say this: Rick Sanford could probably run with them. And with his basketball oh. skills, probably play with him. I mean, you know, oh, uh, no doubt. Even no at doubt. his advanced age, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Nineteen eighty graduate too. Yeah. Look, uh, question: What? Uh, and I know it's a moving target, but based on what we've signed, and when the portal John opens back up, how many potential spots do you see us being able to juggle as far as grabbing a few people? And I know. That's a hit-and-miss question because we don't know who's going to be shown the exit door yet. So just uh, when you get to recruiting, hit on that a little bit. Are you talking about in basketball? Are you talking about Gamecock? No, football. Oh, Gamecock football recruiting. Isn't that season over in basketball? Uh, Well, for South Carolina, it will be in a couple of weeks. (laughs) Yeah. For the men. For the men, it will be over in a couple of weeks. Speaking of football. Yeah. So, yeah. I'll hang up and listen and you guys. Have a great evening, and uh, it's always a great show every night. Well, thank Thank you. you. I'll answer the question now as as best I can, and you you pretty much answered it yourself. I mean, they ended up – they've got um, 30-some-odd newcomers already. That would be uh, 33. 33 total newcomers uh, coming in with this this class. And they're all – they're still – they're over – by three, I believe. I think they're at 88 on scholarship right now. So uh, he has to be down. Beamer has to be down to 85 by the time they start August practice. So obviously there's going to have to be uh, some some transition here. Uh, some will leave on their own probably after spring practice. So you got to see how many decide to clear out and go somewhere else. Um, will enough clear out to leave room to bring in some more obviously if they're at 88 you got to be at 85 you need more than three to leave if i'm doing my math right you got to have more than three to leave to be able to bring in anybody else if all those numbers are correct so that's kind of where it is right now that's where uh that's where i'd hang my hat on that okay thank you very much appreciate the phone call let's hit the break and uh, we will come back with more got recruiting coming up take more of your phone calls as well also it was an off day for the Murdoch trial in Walterboro because of the holiday. So Jim Corbett will join us at 45, the lawyer for the Stars and the official lawyer of Sports Talk, though so far we haven't needed a lawyer, uh, and hopefully we'll never need a lawyer. But if we did, that's who we would call. Uh, he'll be on to uh, talk about what's happening in the trial and what's uh, coming up with the defense. Life, it has its ups and downs. Sometimes it's little things like hitting every red light or dropping your cell phone. Maybe it's the bills, rent, or pressure at work. But when it comes to the South Carolina Education Lottery, you should never feel like playing will solve everything. The lottery is a game. It's played for fun. So set a dollar amount. Expect not to win and make sure responsibilities, family, friends, and work come first. Visit PlayResponsiblySC.com. 
Score a touchdown with Founders Federal Credit Union. With services like Founders Online and the Founders app, you'll enjoy all the perks of a big bank with local personalized service. Not a member? Joining Founders Federal Credit Union is easy. Visit relaxjoinfounders.com or one of our 37 convenient locations to see if you qualify for membership. Relax with Founders. Terms and conditions apply. Founders Federal Credit Union is federally insured by NCUA. So I was home last night after getting back from the beach and just sort of chilling and catching up on some things and did not watch the NBA All-Star game because I just don't want to waste my time. Because I mean, it's that's awful. two and a half hours of my life that I'd never get back, <laughs> even though two of my studs were the studiest of the studs out there. But my God, what a, a they've made such a, a shambles of that game. Thank goodness. For the most part, Major League Baseball is maintaining the sanctity of its All-Star game to this point in time. And we can talk about that in the next half hour. But what I want to mention was, so I'm watching, I'm flipping through the channels, I stop on A&E, and they were running a series of shows on uh, wrestling and uh, the history of the WCW and WWE and the NWO and... I'm not the biggest wrestling fan in the world, but I recognize some of the names and some of the people. And the background stories about all of this history of those two organizations is incredible. And some of the inside stories about some of the greatest um, wrestling events of all time, it's it's amazing, uh, the background and how all this was put together and um, – for those of you who are wrestling fans, I mean, you know what the thing is all about and how it's how it operates. And um, uh, I came away with um, a, a whole level, new level of respect for professional wrestling as a as a business uh, and the organizations uh, and the involvement of Ted Turner when they took over what they took over WWE. No, they took over WCW, I think it was, and it went back and forth. Vince McMahon eventually bought it. and But the showmanship and the acting ability and the star quality of these individuals was off the chart. That's what amazed me, just listening to um, Hulk Hogan, for example, talking about how he went from being a good guy to a bad guy at that time of his career when he joined the NWO. You know what I'm talking about? I do. Uh, yeah, and how tough a decision that was for him. And that night when he made the appearance for the first time with the NWO, and they didn't know he was going to come out, and all of a sudden he comes out. And all the different big bouts that they uh, or, or big matches that they had over the years. It's on A&E if you want to ever watch it. And, man, it was tremendous, especially for an outsider like me who didn't know much about wrestling. 
I'm not going to uh, sit here and try and be a, a wrestling aficionado. I used to enjoy watching. We would often, when I was uh, my roommate and I, we'd often uh, pay for the pay-per-views mm. many, many, many moons ago. And if you go in there accepting it for what it is, it's a male soap opera. I mean, let's, let's be frank. That's exactly what it is. But to criticize them any further is unfair because they are as athletic as any other sport we watch. We just know going in that the outcome's already predetermined. Outside of that, I understand why you can get sucked into wrestling, and but, I see why it's, it's lasted as long as it has. But a lot of people don't know it's predetermined. That's why they love it. And we'll be right back. Okay, welcome back, everybody. It is time for tonight's recruiting report brought to you by Seawells. And as you watch the recruiting report tonight, we've got uh, video highlights running on one of the players we'll be talking about, wide receiver Courtney Crutchfield out of Pine Bluff, Arkansas. So you can watch highlights of him while we're talking about him and others in recruiting. After we talk about Seawells, brand new week, of course, means a brand new week of the daily luncheon buffet. I want to remind you about that because it is the best buffet in the buffet business, not the Jimmy Buffet. We're talking about the eating buffet, all right? Or is that Jimmy Buffett? Whatever. Enjoy yourself listening to Jimmy Buffett as you eat at the Seawells Daily Luncheon Buffet. And it's only $13, and it runs 11 to 2 every Monday through Friday. And, of course, for the very best in the catering business, that is simply Seawells. They've been at it for nearly 80 years serving the folks of South Carolina with the best service that you can find in the catering business at a great price. And they'll come to your location or host your event at their location, 803-771-7385 online at SeawellsCateringSC.com. So we talked about uh, the video running of the wide receiver, Courtney Crutchfield, 6'2", 175, Pine Bluff, Arkansas. He's a guy that was known by new USC offensive coordinator Dowell Loggins. And Loggins, of course, followed up with him when he got to South Carolina. And there is interest there. It's just very early in the relationship between the two of them, and they've got to talk a lot more and do a lot more relationship building. But Crutchfield is open to that, and he wants to visit South Carolina. They've been talking about doing that maybe sometime in March. He went to Arkansas in January, and he also wants to take visits to Oklahoma, Tennessee, Auburn, LSU, and Missouri. Other offers are Texas A&M, Vanderbilt, Auburn, and LSU, among others. And he says when he talks to coaches, they like him so much because he can play defense and he can play offense. The coordinators, he said, are fighting over him about which position to play because he can play corner and safety, but the Gamecocks like him as a receiver. Last year, he had about 30 catches for around 700 yards and 14 touchdowns. How hard are the Gamecocks going after receivers in the 2024 class? By our count, unofficially, 
We've got 25 receivers with offers from the Gamecocks. <laughs> wow. Thus far. All their scholarships available going to wide receivers. That's huh? just receivers. Yeah. <laughs> okay, the Gamecocks are in the top ten with offensive tackle Malachi Tolliver of Cartersville, Georgia. He released his list on Sunday. They've been on Tolliver for an extended period. Offensive line coach Lonnie Teasley is the one who's built the relationship. He was in for the Georgia State game. He was back for the junior day, January 21st. Also on that short list, LSU, Tennessee, Michigan, Auburn, Georgia Tech, Louisville, Ole Miss, Vanderbilt, and Georgia. He also visited Louisville and Georgia for January junior days. USC target offensive tackle Mike Williams of Upper Marlboro, Maryland, plans to visit the Gamecocks again on April 1st. He also visited for the January 21st junior day. He also plans to visit Southern Cal April 8th. USC target defensive end Dylan Stewart has set an official visit to Michigan for March 18th, according to On3. He attended the USC junior day January 21st. He also camped at USC last summer. He also visited Georgia in January. Several new offers from the Gamecocks have gone out. Defensive tackle David Pelpel, 6'3", 303, Hempfield, Pennsylvania. He's got a bunch of big offers. Michigan, Tennessee, Southern Cal, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, Auburn, to name a few. 2025 receiver, Shamarius Peterkin, 6'3", 170, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Tar Heels and State and Virginia Tech. Duke are among his offers. 2025 safety Jordan Young, 6 feet 165, Monroe, North Carolina. Wake Forest, North Carolina, Penn State, Duke, NC State among his offers. Athlete in the 24 class, Jameer Grimsley, 6'3", 180 of Tampa. 25 safety Fahim Delane, Oney, Maryland. 25 athlete Trey McNutt, Shaker Heights, Ohio. 25 athlete Kendall Daniels, Jr., Norfolk, Virginia. USC target receiver Jonathan Paler, offered by Florida. Linebacker Sammy Brown of Commerce, Georgia, has set an official to Clemson for the first weekend in June, according to On3. Clemson offered offensive tackle Egan Boyer, 6'8", 260, Cornelius, North Carolina. He also has offers from Michigan, Michigan State, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia Tech, Wisconsin, Penn State, Auburn, West Virginia, and others. Clemson target offensive tackle Daniel Calhoun has added official visits to Tennessee June 16th and Texas June 23rd. He also has Georgia and Alabama set for June official visits. He also went to Georgia and Tennessee for junior days in January. Clemson target defensive tackle Jeremiah Beeman was offered by Oregon. Clemson target cornerback Ashton Hampton offered by Washington and Coastal Carolina offered Northwestern running back Turbo Richard. And there you go with the recruiting report for tonight right here on Sports Talk. You know, with Sirius in the background from the Alan Parsons Project, you need to do it with a little more vigor. I know you're not a Bulls fan, but, I mean, most people recognize that song not for recruiting here mm. on Sports Talk, but because that was the well, intro when Jordan and those guys you take, were playing. You take 30 seconds and, uh, and give me a little. <laughs> you got the music ready? Pat, roll and the music. Now. Go ahead. Corn Blutes Go ahead. with a Sports Talk recruiting report. No, I want you to give see, the recruiting do, report with the music can, behind it. Go ahead. <laughs> then you could do the – well, I don't have the kids' names. You could do height and weight and all that kind of fun stuff. 6'3", 185. 
from Northwestern. Now I hear what you say. Turbo Richard. Yeah, that's pretty good. All that counts. But I would have no voice left. <laughs> I'd be hoarse. I'd be hoarse the rest of my life. Oh, one more. One more recruiting note I didn't get to. One of my favorite names in recruiting, Mello Jones. Old Mello. Mello Jones from Statesboro, Georgia. I'm going to double check here. I think he's a I think he's a linebacker. No, he's a corner. I'm sorry. He's a corner. Mello Jones, cornerback out of Statesboro, Georgia. And he lists his top ten. South Carolina, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Kentucky, Tennessee, Alabama, Vanderbilt, Miami, Georgia, and North Carolina. There you go. That is now officially the recruiting report. Nicely done. Yep. By the way, circling back to uh, while you were doing the recruiting report, I read up a little bit more of the uh, Sports Illustrated story that you pointed out with regards to potential changes yeah. in college football. One of the excuses they are giving, which I find just comical from the NCAA and the uh, Enforcement Committee, was the fact that these changes are meant to reduce plays in games for safety. Now, Don't you find that interesting that they want to reduce plays within games? Yet they're going to add more games at the end of the season because hmm. when we get expansion into the playoffs, they'll be playing, what, upwards of 16, 17 games. For a few teams. Right, not for everybody. Yeah, sure. they're saying reduced number of play, But, again, why? I mean, college fans don't want to see NFL-type games where you run no. 50, 55 plays, hmm. which is the average NFL game, about 50, 55 offensive plays. I mean, come on. That's um and, and some of the and, and more in that story that you were reading and I was referring to, they believe that now if they change that rule to where you don't stop the clock after an incomplete pass, you're just going to see teams line up and just throw in the ball almost all the time. Yeah. In other words, the the speed up offense will be the turbocharged offense. I think is how they put it. And um, uh, you know, why mess with what is such a good thing right now? It makes there's no need. Show me the need again. If if games were NCAA running, NCAA is really really it, good at this, Phil. I mean, where was the need to add four more teams? Well, this isn't the NCAA. NCAA this is the American tournament. Football Coaches Association. Mm-hmm. But yeah. eventually, it would go through the NCAA. I mean, where they always yeah. do stuff like this. Where was the need to add more teams to the NCAA tournament? No one was clamoring outside of the coaches who want to be able to say they went to the tournament. No one was clamoring to go to sixty-eight teams. And certainly, I can't anybody with any common sense at all. Doesn't want to see 90 teams in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we got to hit the break here on Sports Talk. And when we come back, Jim Corbett will join us and share with us uh, his insights on what he's taken away from what has happened with the Murdoch trial, which was on break today because of the president's holiday. What is this, President's Day? President's Day. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. So we just kind of lump all the presidents together, the good, the bad, the indifferent. and two in particular. And celebrate them. In Washington. (laughs) <laughs> well, oh, it's just for those two, not for all of them. Well, no, I think I think it has blossomed into all presidents. But I mean, that was the initial thing. It was in between their two birthdays. I got you. Now, you are a historian, aren't you, man? You just—I love American history. There you I, go. I really do love U.S. history. All right, it loves you back. We'll be right back. George Bryant here for Tsunami Bar Sports, and some say the fun is in the winning. I say the fun is in the training, and Tsunami Robbie, what do you say? George, we all know you get more done when you're having fun. This technology is different, it's engaging. 
but it's also a lot of fun to use. Hi, this is Phil Kornblut. Be sure to click on the digital ad on sportstalksc.com and get 5% off any Tsunami Bar order using promo code BBB5. Don't wait. Order today. Attention high school sports fans, are you an armchair official? You know, the parent or fan who constantly yells at the referees and loves to let everyone know just how bad you think they are. Well, if you think you could do better, then get in the game and prove it. It's time for you to suit up and make the calls where they actually count. Every sport in South Carolina needs more officials. Sign up today at highschoolofficials.com. Back we are, Sports Talk, here on the Sports Talk Media Network. Jim Corbett will be joining us here momentarily once we get connected with him. You know, this is our opportunity to, uh, I mean, we we stay in our lane here on Sports Talk, right? We're a sports talk show. That's all we do. We talk sports. But as I looked at the Murdoch case and the situation there, this was something that was engrossing the entire state, whether you were primarily a sports fan or you were a political buff or a historian like Mr. Bergen is, whatever whatever your uh, primary interest. I think everybody's been interested in what's been happening down in Walterboro with this case and the twists and turns and the facts that have come out or the alleged facts and the testimony and the the details. You know, the details are, you know, unbelievable, some of the things that we've heard. So let's welcome in Jim Corbett. Our favorite attorney. The story you're about to see is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. All right, Jim, it's good to have you with us back on Sports Talk after what was uh, a very busy week in the trial down there in Walterboro off today. Back at it tomorrow, and now the defense, I guess it's the defense. That sounds too much like football. Defense. The defense uh, gets its time, and they got a lot to do, don't they? Well, heard and saw that they're going to take about a week to present their defense. First off, anybody, if you're a juror or an alternate, stop listening. This is no longer a sports talk show Hmm. (laughs) for the next five minutes. Um, (laughs) Seriously, they're not supposed to listen to media accounts. Um, You know, if they take a week, it shows that they need to negate some things in order to have a chance to, to get a not guilty verdict. Um, you know, it was, it's amazing. Some of the, the technology here, I was just going over some of the things that, that have been reported about using the GPS to figure out how long uh, Alex Murdo was in different places, like uh, the 20 minutes that the, the um, caregiver, caregiver of Alex Murdo's mother said that he was at his mother's house uh, coincides with this GPS tracking. Um, GPS tracking had his speed, had uh, him slowing down in an area around where Maggie Murdoch's phone was found. And why is that important? Well, he was texting her during the time after she had already been been shot. And there's some, you know, inference that he had the phone with him, texting, making sure that the phone was 
getting the checks and then he threw it out. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing how trying to prove the circumstantial case allows you or forces you to go into technology like that. And it's the timeline and it's what builds into it that, uh, is going to decide, I think, uh, the fate of Alex Murdoch. Um, do you believe that he murdered, murdered his wife and his son in such a way? Do you believe that even though he did it, even though there are no weapons found, do you believe it? Um, even though there are no eyewitnesses and there's no videotape, uh, of him, uh, no photographs, uh, the, the crime scene has been, you know, uh, altered or there was not great care taken to preserve the crime scene. Does that make a difference or does it just all add up when he lies about being at the scene? repeatedly to law enforcement in the interviews. And then he's got one, two, three, four people, I think, identify him as a voice on the video that Paul takes minutes before um, he is, is killed. And, and they know it was minutes before because he was on the phone with a live witness who testified, yeah, I was on the phone with him. And he said, send me a video because we can't FaceTime. And so why would he lie about being there, not being there? And uh, there's all sorts of things that you could read into it now. Um, you know, maybe he was there, but someone else did. I, you know, that's you know, what's that going to do to the jury? Who knows? Uh, but it's it's been a obviously a fascinating case. Some people are, are sick of it by now. Mm. Um, some people have made up their mind just based on the media reports, but the jury can't do that. They're not even allowed to deliberate. They're not allowed to. Well, they're never allowed to deliberate until they get all the facts and they get the charge and the law. They're not supposed to even talk about it among themselves or with anybody. And that's really hard because it's been how many weeks? Three. And could you sit down? The, the the jury has not been sequestered, right? I don't believe so. I've seen nothing about that. Yeah. However, uh, I think that was done, and I'm just speculating, because they're going to go get sequestered after they get the, the case to, to deliberate, and that's when, you know, um, it's going to be a little bit of a hardship. So you don't want to put too much hardship on the jury. Um, you might remember there were a couple of people who were released because they had COVID. One had symptoms, one did not. Uh, judge waited until the middle of the trial to pick a four-person because he was gauging who was paying attention the most, who seemed to be uh, responding um, uh, favorably. That really? would be a good leader. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. You mean a judge can dismiss a juror based on his observations? No, 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 no. Picked a foreman. You know, the foreman is the one who's supposed to lead the jury through the discussions. Right. Some judges pick right at the beginning of the case. Some judges wait till the end. Oh, okay. Some do it okay. in the middle. I got you. So he, he, he waited to gauge the jury, so he's looking okay. and seeing what, what the jurors were and, and which ones were paying attention the most, which ones seemed like they were. Um, and you can tell when people are, are running that, you know, the evidence through their own computer, through their mind. And he picked somebody in the middle of it. Um, and they, he picked plenty of alternates to make because, you know, you know, the three-week trial, you never know what could happen. Hmm. Um, uh, there was a little bit of a uh, – only one reported incident that I saw, and there might have been a few others, where the lawyers got to the point where he got frustrated with them. Um, and he just said, well, I'll let you guys argue. I'm going to take a break. Um, he's shown um, a great restraint because there's been so much time, money, and effort put into putting this trial together. You know, he can't let any of his frustrations – affect anything that's going on. In other words, the lawyers get a little more leeway now than, than perhaps in other cases. Um, but, you know, they're cooped up there, too. Everybody's human. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if you sit down and look through the timeline, it's hard to understand how he couldn't be there and couldn't know that this was happening. Sure. Um, and then, you know, what does that mean, though? Are someone going to say, well, that means he was there, but he didn't pull the trigger? And what's the jury going to be charged in the law? Uh, you know, there's... There's no 
There's nothing about anyone else in the prosecution's case. Now, the defense case coming up, they could just be, they could be anything. It could be everything from he takes a stand, Paul Murrow, I mean, um, Alex Murrow takes a stand, to he doesn't take the stand. He doesn't have to. Um, you know, the inclination of most people who have his background and education and are used to explaining things would be to, I want to take a stand, I want to explain everything. Um, maybe, maybe not. I think that that's a, a game time decision. In other words, when the time comes, that's when they make their final choice. And he can make the final choice. He will make the final choice. Lawyers advise and clients decide whether or not to take the stand. Mm. Um, and they could, there could be, you know, they said a week, but they could just decide, be deciding right now, you know what? We don't need to do that. Let's pull a little surprise and let's not present any evidence. And therefore, we get the last word in the closing argument. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but that's a possibility. Uh, and they're evaluating everything day by day and witness by witness. They have their plan, but they've got to decide what to do next based upon what has just happened. Uh, but now they get to go on the offensive, and they get to punch holes in the, in the, the uh, case. One thing I want to point out is remember early on, not early on, the last few months there was talk about an expert who was going to testify about blood splatter. Did not testify that as far as I saw. They did not have an expert on the blood, the out-of-state expert where he apparently changed his opinion you know, after a sled um, said, look at it again and look at this. And so that person didn't uh, testify. And, and again, the prosecution obviously does not want to give any kind of grounds for appeal to overturn a verdict if they get a verdict of guilty. Um, you know, the clothes are a big thing, too. If, if you recall, you know, there's a picture of him at, at, the, at Moselle where the murders happened wearing uh, long pants and a shirt. And then he shows up after visiting his mom in a T-shirt and shorts. One witness, uh, the one of the investigators testified the clothes were dry, but he was sweating. So the inference there, obviously, is he changed the clothes. Why would he change the clothes? No blood on his hands, though he said that he had tried, had moved Paul to try to check on him. Mm -hmm. uh, no blood on his clothes. And it was a terrible scene. I mean, you still see accounts where um, uh, media and other people who were there report that jurors wept when they saw the crime scene. And, and there, some of that was redacted. They didn't show some of it. It was just horrible. So, you know, you put all that together and, you know, you, you hate to have a jurors think that they've got to come back with a verdict because a crime happened. It's got to be the right person. But, you know, it is a circumstantial case. And you don't have to, he doesn't have to prove his innocence. But, you know, when you get to the point where there's little or to no logical conclusion, that means the jury's got to decide what is a reasonable doubt. And just remember, that it only takes one person to avoid a conviction, not an acquittal. It's got to be an unanimous verdict. But if one person keeps voting no, 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 and they get up with a hung jury, that's not a, that's not a um, that's going to um, result in a, a mistrial, and the, the prosecution have to do it again. Mm. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of stuff that could happen in the next week, or it could be very little, it could be very mundane, just going after. Um, the, the inconsistencies about the crime scene and about some of the forensic evidence. And it might be boring. They might expect him to get up on the stand and, and give some sort of shocking story, and he might not. And he might, it might just be just enough for, for the lawyers to argue in closing argument, here's a doubt for whichever reason, here's a doubt for whichever reason, versus the methodical and very painstaking and very complete picture of that night from all angles possible. The GPS on the truck, the videos, uh, the people who were there uh, at different times, um, and uh, it's just—it's a fascinating case. Mm. Without a murder weapon, uh, it's really just fascinating. 
yeah, trying to trying to prove something like this with with the evidence that they have, like you said, with no murder weapon and no eyewitnesses and everything. That's I'm sure that's what the defense is is hanging on. I I envision the scene from A Few Good Men where Tom Cruise is, you know, in the rain and uh, they're trying to decide whether or not to put um, uh, what's his face on the stand. Jessup. Yeah, yeah, Jessup on the stand. Going to put him on the stand. So I I don't mean to make fun or anything. But for those of us who don't know anything about the legal system uh, and and how trials uh, work and all that kind of stuff, that's all we can rely on, A Few Good Men. That's my uh, education into how trials work. Um, it was on TV the last few weeks, and I saw it. I noted one thing that was not really realistic. So it's 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 it's. I mean, it made good theater. It, it made some points, but there's some things that that just won't, wouldn't happen. Well, don't say it because I love that movie, and every time yeah, I it's watch my it, favorite movie. Yeah, every time I watch it, I watch it like it's the first time I've ever seen it. So, um, but mm-hmm. Netflix is going to be dropping the Murdom documentary here like any day, right? I agree. I'll bet you they are. Who's going to watch it though? I think I, mean, I will. Every other pe- you will? Okay. Yeah, I think I will. You think someone will be able to put it together for you in a way that you haven't been able to experience it yet? Uh, I mean, just the background, the details, and, and the interviews that they'll have, you know, will be, I think, will be enlightening. Uh, once they- They're probably going to talk to a lot of the media people who've covered this thing from the beginning, you know, going back a oh, few yeah. years. Hey, Jim, we got to go. Thank you so much. So we'll hit you up later in the week. I will remember Forest from the Trees. Can't, you got to be able to tell the forest from the trees. Very sound logic. And we appreciate Thanks, you Jim. for that. Thank you. Chris, have a great trip to wherever you're going yes, tomorrow. Sir. Statesboro, Georgia. Enjoy. And thank you, Pat. Have a great night, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow.